Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us. And we just thank you that you've given us your word that we can learn about you and who you are and not have to be playing guessing like so many others do. And we just thank in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John, chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Um, we've just had the uh, miracle of this, at the Samaritans where the Samaritan woman became saved and the village became saved. We had the um, ruler whose son was noble, the nobleman whose son was healed. And now in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which was called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the movement, moving of the water. For an angel went down for, at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that, and knew that he had been, been now a long time in that case. He said unto him, Will you that be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on, on, the, and on the same day was the Sabbath. So we're going to stop there for just a moment and start looking at this uh, section of scripture. Uh, first off, it says that after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We have no idea which of the three feasts it was. Uh, I looked him up and seen what anybody could make any kind of a case. It was about evenly split over which, which uh, feast it was, whether it was Pentecost, uh, Passover, or Tabernacles. Uh, we have no idea. It's, and John, I think, left it purposely vague. He didn't really care <laughs> what feast took Jesus to, the, to, the, to Jerusalem. But um, this was a one, one of the big feasts, and the big three are Pentecost, uh, Passover, and Tabernacles, actually. Passover, Pentecost, and <laughs> Tabernacles. Those are the three major feasts. Those are the three where all the males of Israel were to go to the temple and to worship. So Jesus went to Jerusalem on one of the big three feasts. And it says that while he was there, he went to a pool that is called Bethsaida, having five porches. We have no idea where this pool is. Uh, Archaeologists have tried to dig around and find something with a, a pool of some sort with five porches around it, and they can't find it. So having said all that, we don't know anything about this area. We have no idea what kind of pool it was. Most people believe that it was some form of mineral springs because of the um, uh, legends that grew up around it. All right? Uh, and it says that, there lay a great multitude of impotent folks, the blind, the halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. So this was a place where people that were sick gathered. Uh, it is, many believe that it was a minerals, hot mineral springs, because even in our day, the hot mineral springs are considered good for your health. Uh, the hot water opens up pores, the minerals get in and, and are supposedly being very healthy and some of the researchers say that that is true. And even in the ancient days, they had the same, same thought process. If you can find a nice hot mineral spring, it was a healthy, healthy thing. Somewhere along the lines, now I'm going to note, nowhere in here does it say that God did any of this, but this is really the legend that grew up around it, that an angel stirred the water and, and the first person in got healed. Now, we don't know that that's true. We don't know anything about it. It probably started with some legend where some bubbles of water popped up out of the hot spring. Somebody got in and, you know, got their cold or flu or whatever, you know, knocked out. And the, and the legend grew real quick that if you could get in that water first, you're going to be, be healed. This is the only place in scriptures it's mentioned. 
There is no place in any historical document that Bethsaida is mentioned. And there's no archaeology, archaeological proof of Bethsaida even being a place. So I'm going to believe that it is a place because John talks about it and every word in the Bible I believe is true. Um, but so we have this place where there's this mythology growing up that if you get into this pool of moving water first, you're going to be healed. Um, and so it says a great multitude of sick people were laying there, blind uh, people that couldn't walk, all these things. And what were they putting their faith in? Not God, but this moving water. And this is something that we have to be very careful of because this even happens in churches, you know, uh, where you go, well, if this happens or this person speaks or this happens, then miracles happen. And believe me, I've seen all that, all that stuff. If this one person comes and they bring their their holy water or anointing oil or whatever it might be, and they pray for you, you're going to be healed. Well, my hope is in God. My hope is not in any particular man. And you all know that I believe in healing and all of that. I have no problem with that. I believe that God heals and all of that. But it, my hope is not in any one person or anything. These people's hope was in this water that was moving. Why it moved, nobody knows. The legend came up that an angel came out and stirred up the water and whoever was first in did it. What was more likely, hot waters from the, you know, from the, from the lower sulfur uh, mineral areas bubbled up and, and they took that as the angel moving, moving the water. So, uh, and this is all going on and this is, and the first four verses are just John setting up the place and what was going on. And so in verse 5, it says, A certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Now, that does not mean that he had been at the water for 38 years. It means that he had been sick for 38 years. Now, he'd probably been at the water a lot, you know, on the hope that maybe I'll be the first one, first one in. Um, and the problem is it uh, doesn't really tell us what his infirmity was. Uh, the list of infirmities that were there were the blind, the, the, the halter, the ones that couldn't walk very, the lame, uh, impotent, or the idea of weak and uh, withered. You know, their hands have withered away. We've seen people with, you know, practically no muscles and stuff in, in that. So these were the type of people that came to the, this pool, all hoping that one day they would be be the first one in the pool. Now I can picture this. It says a large multitude. I don't know how big this, this pool was, but I can almost picture all these people laying around the edges of this pool waiting for the day that it, the waters churned so they could roll into the pool real, and be the first one in. Uh, and you, you know, this is the kind of picture I have. You know, however big it is, an Olympic-sized pool, all these people laying and sitting on the edges waiting to be the first one to, to get in this pool on the off chance that the waters were going to to move. And we don't know how often the waters moved. Maybe there was one time when the water moved and somebody apparently got healed and everybody's waiting for the next time they were going to, to move. And we don't know anything about this on there. Verse 6 says, And when Jesus saw him and knew that he had been there for a long time, he asked, Will you be, will you be made whole? Do you, want to be, do you want to be healed, basically, is what he's asking. All right? Now, you've got to think about this. Does this sound like a silly question to ask somebody who's sitting by a pool hoping that the water is going to be agitated, that they could be the first one in? Uh, and Jesus says, do you want to be made whole? And I think about this question, and then I think about his answer, which we'll get to next. But the question is, do you really want to be made whole? And I think this is a very serious question because I have seen many people who don't want to get over what apparently is a problem. Believe me, I've seen it over and over again in my lifetime where somebody goes, well, I'm tired of being sick. Well, what are you going to do to get different, fix it? Well, nothing. I'm not going to change anything in my life. Okay? Uh, you know, I'm tired of being broke. What are you going to do to fix it? Well, I don't know. I'm going to magically win the lottery and then I'll be, I'll be wealthy for the rest of my life. Okay, no, that's probably not going to work anyway because then you'll overspend your lottery money too and be broke. You know, but how many people do not want 
to be made whole? And you know, this is a serious question even for us as Christians. When we have a place where we're going, I have a problem in this area, and God says, do you want to be made whole? Well, God, I know it's a problem, but you know, I really don't want to fix it. You know, deep down, deep down in, inside, I just don't want to fix it. This man's answer was, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, and while I'm coming, another gets in. He immediately makes excuses. Kind of like our world today. Nobody wants to take responsibility for anything. So Jesus says, do you want to be made whole? And he goes, I can't get in the water fast enough. There's nobody to help me get into the water. Nobody here to push me into the water when it, when it gets agitated. You know, uh, I find his, Jesus' question kind of interesting, but I find the man's answer even more interesting. Uh, and especially in a, in a world that we live in today where it's nobody's fault. It, you know, it's not my own fault. It's that person or that person or that person. Or if mom and dad had just treated me better or if, if uh, my friends were just nicer to me, if, you know, if, the, if those people hadn't taken advantage of me, you know, if, 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 if. <laughs> and that's basically his answer. You know, uh, I would, you know, I kind of want to be healed, but, you know, I don't, it's, everybody gets there first. I can't, I can't do, I can't get there first. And I read this and I just think about our day and age. Our day and age where everybody is always somebody else's fault. And, you know, it's really hard to grab hold of. It's, I was, I was born white, I was born black, I was born, I was born Asian, I was born, you know, Martian or whatever. You know, uh, that's why, that's why I have all these bad problems. You know, if I just had more money, if I had a little less money, if, you know, if, if my parents had given me more money, you know, uh, you know, whatever it might be, and there's always some other reason for not being able to do it. And this is a, you know, something is getting worse and worse and worse with each generation. Uh, I've been reading a lot of articles lately about people who didn't like the way they were being treated at work and immediately left work, some of them within the first shift. You know, because they didn't like something somebody said to them at work. I'm going, you realize that <laughs> you get paid, you know, and I used to love it when I was, in, when I was, when I was a manager, I'd give people their first check and never see them again. And it's like, uh, you do realize if you keep coming to work, you get another one of these every two weeks. You know, but it's like, I got my money, I'm off. <laughs> and it's, you know, there's just no long-term thought process to your actions causing this, and this man is saying that same thing. You know, you know I, I want to be healed, but I can't get in the water fast enough, so I'm just going to sit here by the water and hope one day that I can roll in, roll in faster than anybody else. And you know, we look at this and say, why do people do this? And a lot of it is to do with the fact that people don't want to recognize, number one, that they have sin and they're accountable for their own actions. And our world is basically built around this whole idea that we're not necessarily accountable with our, for our actions. Psychology goes, let's find out why you are what you are by going back and seeing how you were treated. And the idea is if I fix, fix my attitude toward how I was treated, I might fix my things instead of saying, my reaction to what happened to me is what matters. You know, and this is what it, the Bible is all about, personal responsibility. Now, do some people have bad lives? Absolutely. Have some people had bad family lives? Absolutely. Have some people had easier lives than others? Absolutely. But each one of these things matter, how do we react to it? His ones, you know, I want to be healed, but I can't get into the water fast enough, so I'm not going to get, you know, I just can't get into the water fast enough to be healed. And... You know, and we need to be careful about all this. Jesus answered him and said, you know, okay, you having a problem getting in the water? He says, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Now, this has kind of been an interesting statement. He's asking this man at this point to take some personal responsibility. Because this man could have, could have looked at Jesus and said, look, I, you know, I'm laying here because I can't walk. And you just told me to get up and walk. Are, are, you, are you a lunatic? You know, he could have easily said that because it, it appears that he doesn't know who Jesus is when we get later in. 
He doesn't know who, who healed him. He doesn't know who Jesus is. Here is just some crazy man walking up to you saying, do you want to be healed? I can't get in the water fast enough. Uh, get up and take your, pick up your bed and go and, and walk out. You know, a guy who obviously hasn't walked in a long while, you know, for 38 years. And he's being told by somebody he doesn't know, take up your bed and walk. How much faith did it take for him to get up and even try to get up, you know, and then pick up his bed? Here's a man who has not been able to do this for 38 years. He's just said, well, I would really like to be healed, you know, kind of, but I can't get in the water fast enough. I just can't get there fast enough. I'm, I'm just content to lay here on my mat, you know, for the next uh, however many years to, because I can't get anywhere. And Jesus says, get up. Get up. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. One of the things I see here is how often does God tell us to do something? Usually something that makes no sense to us. All through the scriptures, God tells people to do things that make no sense. Uh, Joshua, you're going you're gonna to uh, beat, the, beat the people of Jericho by marching around the city. You're not making any siege ramps. You're not making any catapults. You're not, you're not going to do anything. You're just going to march around the city. Uh, you know, can you imagine how much faith that took to go march around the city? Noah, I want you to build this great big boat and fill it with animals and food for, for a long stay because it's going to rain. God, what's rain? Oh, the water is going to fall from the sky. It's never fallen from the sky before, so what are you talking about, God? has to build a boat for 120 years before the rain comes. <laughs> How much faith did it take to build the boat? How much faith did it take to fill that boat with food and provisions for all those animals that God started providing to you, still looking for this mythical item called rain that you've never seen that's going to flood the whole world and you're going to be saved because you built a boat? But he had a lot of faith. He had a lot of faith. That's what I'm saying. That's the point. He had, they had a lot of faith. Well, I, I am sure he had trouble with his faith at times as well. Uh, you go into the battle that Hezekiah has against the people, and God says, okay, Hezekiah, I want you to send the Ark of the Covenant and the singers in first before the army. Now, it probably wasn't a bad deal for Hezekiah. He's back behind the Ark and the singers. How would you have liked to have been one of the singers singing God's praises in front of the army to go into battle? Or what you think is going to be battle? Yeah. We look at these different things. David going up against Goliath. Uh, he, he seems to have had no problem at, at all because God had, you know, put him through similar trials. But it's still, how much, how much faith did Saul have to do to put him out there? All right, none of my other men want to take this chance. I'll put this young, young youth out there. Oh, and by the way, he told me he's going out with a slingshot and a, and a, and a, and a shepherd's staff against the, the warrior. Have you ever thought about how much faith it took for Saul to do that, or desperation? It might have been desperation in his case. You know, this guy's been challenging us for 40 days, and not one of my men are willing to go out there. I'm not willing to go out there. At least this boy is willing to go out there and, and stand up to him. You know, probably going to get killed in the first, first, first swing, but, you know, at least somebody's going to take up the challenge. This man had to step out in faith to get up, even to try to get up and then carry off his bed. You know, and I think sometimes, you know, we say, you know, like Noah had great faith, all these people had great faith. Their faith had to be learned just like ours does. You know, it, faith takes a step of action. And that step of action usually is something that is really tough to do. Because we're gonna go, God, it makes no sense to do something. Well, if it made sense to do it, it would not take a step of faith to do it. So this man is being told by Jesus, get up. I know you're laying there. You've been there for 38. You've been sick for 38 years. Get up. Can you imagine how weak his muscles had to be after 38 years of not being able to walk? God said, well, you know, get up. And it says immediate. And the next one's, and immediately the man was made whole. So as soon as he decided to get up, he was instantly made whole. 
including the muscles, tone, and strength to be able to get up and walk. Have you ever thought about some of these miracles that Jesus did? The man who was blind from birth was given his sight and he was able to see and perceive what he saw. You know, people were able to hear and understand what they were, being, what they were hearing. I mean, Jesus could have just healed him even if the man didn't have any faith, though. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like... The faith was that he got up. He was told to get up. If he had just laid there and didn't step up, whether he was healed or not, he would have never known it, but, but part of this is stepping out. Most of the time, faith is a step out in action. God is telling us to do something. No, God, it doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to take that step of faith. I will never know what the consequences would have been if I had stepped out in faith. Other times we step out in faith and it's like, wow, look at all the great things that happen. And this is the thing about faith. <clears throat> faith does not usually make sense to us. But I mean, it was also because it was Jesus, right? Like if another guy had come, another complete stranger had walked up to him and said, you know, hey, get up and walk off. But he did not know who Jesus was. I mean, wouldn't there have potentially have been like some command, you know, something about him? Like maybe... That's a point that I've often considered, you know. Jesus being God, did his love exclude differently than most people's love? Did his command stand differently? I don't know. And I just, did his presence yeah. do something? Because uh, I've met people so filled with the Spirit, you, see, you feel them coming before they get there. Is it possible that he had nothing else to do? How many people are just going to tell somebody, get up and walk, you know, in the first place? Well, he had the faith to get up. He had enough faith to get up. And yes, it is, this is the question that we always have. Is God going to heal us when we have no faith at all? But all, we also know that faith comes by him in the first place. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we know that faith is given to us by God. Uh, strength is given to us by God. The desire to seek him is given to us by God. So it gets to, you know, it's almost which one came first, the faith or the healing. Uh, both. Also go back to when Jesus was in Galilee in Copernicum, he could do no miracles because they did not, they did not have faith. They did not see him as anything but the boy, the little boy who had grown up in there. And they're going, who is he? Who does he think he is to be able to do this stuff? Where he did very little, not nothing, but he did. Now, could God have done it in spite of their, in spite of their lack of faith? Yes. But God usually does not make things happen to us. You have to step out in faith. And we go, well, we read all these stories about people of faith. How many people did not have the faith to step out? He doesn't usually force his will on people that don't show the faith. Like if somebody doesn't know God and they feel their body heal and somebody's telling them to get up, that for me would be a faith builder, boom, instant faith. And, and I think that those kind of miracles bring people to the Lord when they don't have faith or know. May or may not, depending on where they were to begin with. Because Jesus, more often than not, criticized them for seeking signs rather than stepping out. Those are ones who have some type of knowledge but aren't committing to it. I'm talking about people who are completely ignorant of the fact of who God Note I said usually. I mean, yeah. God can do anything he wants to do. Right. And I'm not going to try to put God into a box. But I do know that most people and most of the time he asks people to step out. How did Naaman get healed of his leprosy? Elijah told him, go wash seven times in, in the River Jordan. And he's going, I'm not going into that dirty, stinking river. I've got better, cleaner rivers up in, 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 in Syria. And his servant said, well, if he asked you to really do something big, wouldn't you have done it? What's, what's the hard thing of going and dipping yourself seven times? It was the seventh time that he got healed. Can you imagine how hard he didn't want to go in the first time? All right, I, took, I, I got in that stinky, dirty river. All right, well, you can do it, you know, gets to this fifth time, sixth time. Because look, I've done this sixth time and nothing has changed and nothing has changed in my leprosy. You know, that seventh time had to have been the hardest one for Naaman to, after the first one, the hardest one to get into. 
I've done this six times and nothing has changed. Goes in the seventh time and comes out perfectly clean just by being obedient and walking in faith. God does expect us to walk by faith. Can he do something without our faith? Absolutely. I've seen people get healed, had, had no desire, no, no, no thought. Uh, I've seen God work in people's lives who had no, no desire for him. But I've seen more people step out in faith and have God do something great. And in the scriptures, that's what we see. People stepping out to do something. Um, and God rewards that stepping out in, in faith. If, if these people had never stepped out in faith, we'd have never heard about them. You know, we hear about them because they stepped out in faith and did what they were told to do. How many people didn't step out in faith? Well, it makes me sometimes wonder how many things would have been different in my life if I had stepped out in faith more than I do. You know, what would have changed in my own life if I had just had enough faith to step out in some of the things that I was pretty sure I was told to do and go, oh, no, I don't really think that's, I don't think that that's something I can do. But by the same token, there are things that we have missed out because we didn't step out in faith. Uh, this man is stepping out in faith, and it could be that he felt his body being healed. Uh, he may have been one of those that he didn't get healed until he st started to stand up, which many of the cases, that's what we saw, because we saw one where he lifted up the man, and his, immediately as he, was be as he was lifting up, his ankles got their strength. The man, the man that uh, Peter and John prayed for at the gate, beautiful. So as, as he was standing, his knees were, his legs were strengthened up and he was then leaping and jumping for joy because he was healed. But he had to take that immediate step of saying, I am going to be obedient and stand. Maybe if it was his choice to go to the pool in the first place. It could have been just the, the family saying, well, you're, you're, a lousy, you're a lousy beggar, so we're going to put you by the pool and maybe one of these days you'll roll into the pool first and you'll be healed. We don't know if it was his desire to be there, whether somebody put him there. You know, we don't know anything more about him than what we're, what we're reading. Uh, and it could be very much that he wanted, you know, put me by the pool and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to be healed. Or it could have been his family saying, well, maybe you'll be lucky one day and you'll be the first one in. We don't, we don't really know. All, he knows, all we know is apparently he was abandoned when, once they put him there because he said, no one's here to put me in the water first. Again, maybe he had faith, maybe he didn't. Maybe he was looking to be healed, maybe he wasn't. Um, his answer to Jesus was, I can't get into the water first. And even then, you know, if he really wanted to be healed, you know, you would think his answer is, yes, yes, I'm really looking forward to getting healed, but I just really can't get in the water first. But he never said anything about, I want to be healed. He says, I can't get in the water first. Uh, so I have no man to get me into the water. We want to be careful because we can't speculate too much about this one way or the other. But he is told, get up and walk. And he gets up and he walks. He, he rises, he picks up his, his bed. And then John throws this little caveat at the very end of it. It was the Sabbath. Why is this an important thing? You're not allowed to carry your bed when, on the Sabbath. Uh, as far as the Jewish leaders were concerned, he was working. He was breaking the law. <laughs> now, God says you can't work on the Sabbath, but I don't think he meant carrying your, your, your mat was a, was, a, was a work. And this is the problem. If the Jews had built all these rules around God's rules. And uh, I picked up their little book. I thought, it was a, I thought it was a Bible when I went to a Jewish synagogue. It turned out to be bigger than the Bible, and it was all the extra rules to the rules that God gave. God said, don't work. So what they had to do is figure out what work was. How much could you carry, can you pick up before you're working? Can I pick up a pencil? Or am I working? But I can't write, and even if I picked up the pencil, I can't write with it because I'm working. You know, but is picking up the pencil too much weight? Am I working at the, I mean, we're laughing about that, but this was literally stuff that they had picked up. How high can you pick your foot up before you're working? God said you couldn't light a fire. So that was one of the things they knew. You had to have your fire lit and, and banked before, before the Sabbath. You could not light the fire. Uh, you could not, the ones who went and picked up manna, tried to pick up manna, you know, were said God first off didn't give it to them. And then when they picked, tried to pick up sticks to build a fire, they go, that person deserves to be killed. 
they really wanted to work on what did it mean to work. And they wrote a lot of laws about what it meant to work. This guy picking up his bed was considered by the leaders, as we're going to find out in the next section of, the, section of this, he was working because he picked up his bed. Jesus was working because he healed him on the Sabbath. So this is going to be a controversy for them. And a big controversy for them. So verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him who was cured, It is a Sabbath day, and it is unlawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them and said, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, What man is that which said unto you, Take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So here he is. He's walking around with his bed, as he was told to do. And they're going, why are you carrying your bed? It's unlawful for you to be doing this. And his answer was, the one who cured me told me to pick up my bed. He goes, I really don't care if it's unlawful or not, but the one who told me, that healed me, who had the power to make me whole, told me to carry my bed, so I'm carrying my bed because he told me to. You know, you're going to tell me that it's wrong and all this other stuff, but the one who was able, had the power to make me whole said, carry my bed, I'm going to do what I was told to do. And their immediate question was, well, who is this one that told you to do this? Why were they on that? Their attitude was there is no way that, told, that somebody telling you to break the law is going to be powerful and righteous enough to have healed you in the first place. All right? This is, this is their whole logic on it. And they're going to, you know, we know this from other places as well as, as, well as this one. But they're going, somebody who's a sinner can't, can't, he, can't heal you and, you know, because he's telling you to carry your bed and that's against, the, that's against the, the rules, so therefore he cannot be a righteous person. So you can't be cured. So we note here that they didn't really question his, his healing. I think in the back of their mind, they're going, we don't know who this guy is. We probably wasn't healed in the first place. All right. And we see this attitude even in today's world because there are so many charlatans doing healings and stuff where they plant somebody in the audience who's supposed to be healed and, you know, can't walk. They're on crutches and immediately they throw away their crutches and I'm healed. I'm healed. And then everybody rushes down trying to get get healed, you know. So I think that's what they were looking at. You're just a you are a plant amongst all these people. You weren't, you know, there's no power in this. You know, tell us tell us who it is that's been playing this charlatan's game. You know, and he goes, I have no idea. I have no idea who it was. You know, it's just a man who came, told me to pick up my bed, and, and you're healed, and I was healed, and now I'm able to walk. You know, and this does not go over well with them. These guys are the rulers. These guys are the rulers. They're supposed to know who can do healings, who can do exorcisms, who gave you the authority to be an exorcist, who gave you the authority to be a healer, and they're going like, uh, well, who is this person that healed you and, and told you to do this? Because we don't recognize whoever it is that you are, are talking about. Same thing when John the Baptist was asked, you know, who, by whose authority are you baptizing? You know, hey, we're the authority people here. We did not give you the authority to be going around baptizing people. So who did you get this authority from? And this is what they're getting ready to come after Jesus on. You know, it's like, you know, who is this guy that, you know, you're pretending that said, get up and get healed. And, you know, he could not have healed you if he's now telling you to do something wrong. Where, you know, if he'd have gotten up and left his bed there until the next day, they went, well, kind of don't know about this healing thing, but at least you're walking around and there's your bed. You didn't, you didn't violate any law. But now they're looking at him, okay, you're violating the law, so whoever told you to do that can't be a righteous man. He can't be healing you by God. And what did they tell Jesus at another time? You're, you're casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, by, uh, by the power of Satan. And this is what they're getting ready to come up to. You know, they don't actually do this, but they're basically saying, obviously, because he's telling you to break God's laws, he cannot be a godly man, so he must be doing this by the power of some other power. And this is the sad thing about the Jewish people who believed in God, and God is all-powerful, but yet they would believe that these other agencies could do miraculous things. And so they, they've got a twisted sense of, 
sense of, of authority and power in it, you know. But at the same time, how many Christians end up with the same problem? You know, how many Christians will lift up some great person who says they have the gift of healing? Uh, and they don't focus it on God, they focus it on themselves. And this is the problem that I see in lots of things that happen. Well, I have the power to foretell the future and to, to say these, you know, and I'm going to lift up. Well, you don't have any power outside of what God gives you. You have no power outside of what the Spirit gives you. And if it's not focused back on God, then there's a problem. And like I said, I've seen this. I, I've seen some people that have got gifts of healing, and I do believe in the gifts of healing. But they always focus it back on God and say, I don't have anything. God is the one that does this. And then I've seen people, and I'm not going to name names, but we've seen them on TV and everything. Well, I've got the gift of healing. If you want to get healed, just come and see me or buy my stuff or whatever. Uh, no, you don't. Oh, believe me, I understand where they come from with it, and I understand what they're trying to say. It's just, it's very scary. Here, these guys are looking at this man on the Sabbath day, and all they see is not the miracle of him being healed. They see what they perceive as sin of him carrying a mat on the Sabbath day. You know, it's just kind of a scary thought. But this is something that oftentimes Christians get bound up in, in their own rules of how something should happen. You know, if, if, it's, if it's of God, it's got to be done this way. And if you're not doing it this way, it can't be of God. Uh, if you haven't said these particular names of God in your prayer, then you are not praying to the right God. And it's becoming popular again to, for that. You know, this, this movement keeps coming up every, every, few, every few decades. You know, if you're not praying in the name, if you're using the name Jesus, which is the Greek word for, for Jesus' name, and you're not praying to Yeshua, or even worse, you're not praying to Yahweh, then you're not praying to the right God. Because God doesn't recognize his name in any other language. <laughs> now, if you're not praying to him in the language of, of the Hebrew people, then God doesn't understand you or doesn't care. And it's like, you guys are nuts. I don't think God cares about what language we say his name in. There are many people that go, and if you just don't do it the right way, Little tiny things that split up churches, families, individuals, because you didn't do it the way that they think it should be done. These Jews, all they could concentrate on was the fact that this man was carrying a mat around on, on the Sabbath day. They weren't concentrating on the fact that for 38 years he couldn't walk. He couldn't have carried the mat if he had wanted to for 38 years. And now he's walking and carrying a mat on Sabbath. And they're going, this, you know, you can't, be, you can't be doing what's right. The man who healed you can't be doing what's right. You know, what a problem <laughs> that we have when we want to box God in. And one thing I have learned over the years, if you try to box God in, number one, God is too big to be boxed in, but he won't stay in the box anyway. He'll do anything to not be put into that box. There's very few things that God cannot do. Lying would be one of them. Accepting sin is another one. But even when we say he cannot accept sin, what did he do? He sacrificed his son Jesus so that he could cover the sin of the people so that he could accept those that have sinned. That is bizarre when you think about it. He can't accept sin, so he paid for it so that we could accept the sinners because of what he did to bring them to him. That's getting outside of a box. Because if he had been God, you know, you, if you really put him in, you know, in, that, in a box, you're going, well, God, you're inside this box. You can't handle anybody who's sinning. Nobody would be in, nobody had ever been accepted by God. You know, we need to be careful about what we look at and say, this is the only way we can do things. I have seen this happen in, in worship services. Uh, you got to do this this way. <clears throat> I know churches that you go to and you spend 25 minutes in praise songs which to me is way too long, but 25 minutes of praise songs with no, no interruption. Then you get an hour sermon, then you go for another 25, 30 minutes of songs. And heaven help you if you change that order. Average Baptist church, two hymns, announcements, a special song, a message, and, and a closing song. And heaven help you if you change that order. 
uh, you know, do pastor first or one song in a, in a message or eight songs in a message, you know, you'd be in trouble. We need to be careful that we don't get ourselves so locked into the how that we forget that it's God's grace. And these people were in that place where they were going, uh-uh, you, you can't be healed. This man who healed you cannot be a, a godly man. You're, you're, you're a sinner by carrying that, carrying that mat. And you know, he told you to do it? Uh-uh, he has to be a sinner too. And that was their problem. And something is very easy to slip into. It is very easy to slip into this kind of thing. Verse 14, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you are made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come to you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now I want to note here, Jesus found him where? At the temple. Can you imagine the excitement this guy has? It was a Sabbath day. It's a feast day. He should have been at the temple if he had been made whole. For 38 years, he has not been able to go into the temple because a sick person could not go into the temple. So what's the first thing we find him doing after he's healed? He goes to the temple. You know, in one point, maybe he was trying to be healed. We don't know. But he definitely understands that a miracle has happened to me and God has given me a second chance. He goes to the temple and one of the things that's even more amazing is Jesus found him at the temple. If he wasn't God, he probably would have had a very hard time finding him at the temple. Why? It's a feast weekend. Every male in all of, Jer of Israel is there that weekend, that day. <laughs> Doesn't say he was still carrying his bed. After he's been harassed by the leaders, he probably put his bed someplace. <laughs> but that was kind of interesting. It was easy to find. You just look for the guy carrying his bed in the temple. <laughs> I don't think the soldier, the, the, guard, the temple guards would have allowed him in the temple with his bed. He's at the temple and Jesus meets him. And Jesus says something that's very interesting and it's been taken out of context in many cases. He goes, Behold, you are made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So most people then take this verse and go, well, all sicknesses is because of sin. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, you, your problem was because of your sin. Go and sin no more. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us what his sin was that got him in trouble. Now, basically saying, if you want to you get back and really have a problem, go and sin some more and, and you'll be worse off than you were before. And we don't know what his sin was. What made him incapacitated? What made him so weak that he couldn't do it is not given to us. And this is not saying that all sin, that all sickness is sin. That, the book of Job helps us with that whole category because Job's friends said, hey, you're, you're sick, you must have done something terrible. God are, you know, already told us that that wasn't the case. And so we know here that Jesus isn't saying that all sin, all sickness is because of sin. But this guy appears to have been. You know, your sin is what put you there. Don't sin again. And some sickness is because of sin. I mean, this is where it gets difficult because some sicknesses, some diseases are either direct responses of the sin or the consequences of God's discipline of our sin. So this is why people will get into this whole idea. Well, this person's really sick. What did they do? Yeah, and Jesus even asked the people one time, he goes, you think that the people that got killed by that tower were worse sinners than the rest of the people? And he goes, no, yeah, that's not the case. The, the, the harm falls on the just and on the unjust. This guy apparently had some sin in his life that God was judging. What it was, who knows? But Jesus said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So you, you have sinned. You, this, your, your illness was due to sin. Don't go out and sin anymore because something worse might happen to you the next time. And we need to be careful that we take these things in context and understand them in the whole light of Scripture. This man had some problem that led to his, to his illness. Some sin, sin. We don't know what it is. I've, 
he had a problem that Jesus said is because of the sin that you had done is why, you, why you're having this problem. Don't go out and sin anymore. In other words, repent, follow after what you're supposed to do. And he's not saying that all disease is by sin. And I've had that taught by this verse. People go, well, Jesus said that. <laughs> no, that's not what he said. <laughs> Believe me, this one verse has taken way, way out a lot of times. Uh, people will go, well, see, Jesus said, Jesus said, if you sin, you're going to get, you're going to get sick. Well, yes and no. <laughs> this particular guy was told, you know, and I'm sure that Jesus had a particular sin and there was something that caused this issue. And Jesus said, if you continue in that sin, you're going to get worse. Whatever that issue was. If something bad is going to happen to you if you continue, if you continue in the lifestyle that led you, led you into this place. Uh, how, how that is, I don't know what's going on. Don't know. But Jesus is very clearly telling him, repent. Repent of your lifestyle because something worse will, will come upon you or you know, you've been sick for 38 years. That's a good portion of your life. <laughs> I don't know what more worse other than probably going to hell. But So Jesus did come to him and part of it may have been a, a, implicit, you know, that maybe damnation is coming your way if you continue in sin. We don't know. There's not enough there for us to know what, what Jesus referred to. Are you going to get sick again? Are you going to you know, fall away? You're going to be a reprobate? We don't have any idea what it is. But Jesus definitely cleared him, go and sin no more, lest worse come to you. you know, death. <laughs> death. Uh, a worse disease than what he had. Yeah. You know, you've been able to lay here for 38 years. Next time you're not even going to be able to... You, know, you won't be clean enough to come, come here. Who, know, who knows what, that, what was being said worse. And it says, The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that had made him whole. So he went to the leaders and said, I now know who it was. It was that man, Jesus. Uh, and the, the answer on this was, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. This is pretty extreme. And we see this throughout Jesus' ministry. Jesus seemed to make a point of healing people on the Sabbath. And saying this is not work. Helping lost people is not work according to Jesus. And Jesus had a problem with their hard-hearted attitude of not being willing to help somebody who needed help because it was the Sabbath. He's going, and we'll, we'll, we see John and many of the other, where these leaders actually put people in Jesus's path on the Sabbath day in synagogues to see what he was going to do. Will you heal this person on the Sabbath day? And Jesus had harsh words for them all through the, the Gospels about their hard heartedness that they would not be willing to help somebody that needed help because of the Sabbath. And he goes, the Sabbath was not made for you to be subject to. The Sabbath is subject to, to you. Now, and this is the thing that Jesus over and over went through. God's laws and his rules were not to make us bound up. Now, they do keep us in God's, in God's direction, but they weren't to bind us up and make us afraid to do things. They were to give us boundaries that helped us focus on God. The Sabbath is a great thing. To, a day of rest is important. To just be able to focus on God for a day. To stop doing other things that we may even like. God gave Adam and Eve the day of rest on the seventh day because he goes, I worked for seven days. I want you to rest for one. Now, they really had a hard life. They got to play at what they worked at. And one day a week, God says, stop playing and focus on me. And this is the argument that I've had with various people over the years. And I'm going, well, I like to work in my garden and do my yard work on my, on my, on my day of rest. No, that is, you may enjoy doing that, but that's exactly what God said not to do. He wants you to focus on him during that period of time. And... You know, it used to be, even in America, we rested on the Sabbath. We did not watch TV. We did not play, you know, did not play games. You did not, 
you had a family dinner, so the wives really didn't get to work, uh, get to rest too much on Sabbath. Uh, they had to still make, cook the family dinner and all of that. But it was a time of just relaxing. And for a long time, you couldn't watch TV, you couldn't go to the movies, you couldn't play games. It was just a day of go to church in the morning, have dinner with the family, and then reflect on what you learned in church and, and spend time reading the scriptures. And that was about all you could do. Why? Because they really took it serious that you were to focus on God on the day of rest. And this is something that is very important because these Pharisees and scribes, they had worked it into this really bad you know, thing saying, if you do any of these 5,000 things, and I'm only making up a number, then you have violated the Sabbath. You know, you're breathing too heavy. <laughs> you know, you're, you're working. You're, you, you exerted yourself too much. You're working. You know, and I don't know if that would be it, but, you know, but that's how bad they were getting. You know, uh, you're, you're carrying a, a brick. You know, that brick weighs too much. You're, you're working. You know, you're carrying a pot of food too far. You're, you're working. You know, and I don't know how, how extreme they went, but I do know some of the stuff that I've read is pretty, pretty bizarre. And they had this walking only so far, and, and, and anything beyond that, you're working and violating the Sabbath. So this is a problem that they're so upset that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath that they started attacking him, persecuting him. And we're going to see it only intensify as we go through the book of John. That, you know, Jesus is going to hand, answer, and we're going to read that answer next week, but he's got an answer for them because of their hard-heartedness toward this man being healed. In the next section, he literally declares that he is God. You know, not, not by saying, I am God, but we're, we're going to point out the various places where he says, I am God, to the Jewish mind. And you know, those who tell us that Jesus never said that he was, was God really have not read the scriptures and understand anything. We have a section where Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And what was the reaction of them? They picked up stones to stone him because what did he just say? He said, I'm God. I'm the everlasting one. Before Abraham was, I am, which is God's name, I am. You know, and he says, before, you know, here I am standing before you, and I am before, Mo, before Abraham. You know, he was claiming to be God. And the Jewish people understood that that's what he was claiming, which is why they picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. He had just claimed to be God. And those who don't understand that statement go, well, he never said he was God. All through, this, all through the scriptures and little things, when you, when you understand them from a Jewish perspective, you will see that he claimed to be God several occasions. Very clearly claimed, you know, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane when they said, who, he said, who do you seek? And they go, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. You know, I am. He didn't say, I am he. He says, I am. And the Jewish guards fell to the ground because he just claimed to be God and they knew exactly what he had said. You know, they had no, no, no mindset that he did not claim to be God. Now, they didn't necessarily believe it, but they understood who he said he was. All through, and we'll try to pick out in this next, chap this next section, some of these places where he said, I am God, and be able to help us to understand that he makes a very bold statement. He gets to walk out of the temple, which is even more amazing. They're already persecuted and they're ready to kill him and he claims to be God and they, don't, and they don't kill him. The power. And this goes back to what we said at the beginning. Does, did Jesus have a power that excluded from him that people couldn't touch him? Did he have love that you know, exerted from him that people just knew to a great degree how much love? And I'm going to say probably. I've contemplated this many times in my, in my studies of the scriptures. How much power of God you know, pushed out of him as he talked to people, as he walked with people, how much of the love of God overflowed on people and they could just tell that he was different from every single person that they knew? You know, how much of the power did they understand and, and just feel, maybe not even understanding it? You know, uh, you know, the creator of the universe standing in front of them, <laughs> speaking to them, how much of that power actually could be felt? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I really kind of wonder sometimes, would it, wouldn't it have been fun to have actually met Jesus to know some of the answers to these things for that time period? 
you know, and don't know. It's all speculation. Maybe, maybe he was just a man that walked around and nobody, nobody ever thought of anything special of him. Uh, I don't think that would be the true statement. <laughs> because I've met too many Christians, especially people that are in a, in a high experience with God, that you could just tell something's different about this person. God radiates out of him. Jesus was fully God. There had to be some kind of power that excluded out of him that people noticed. They may not have understood it, but there had to be something that they knew, this person's different. This person is different. And then they'd be able to put him on a cross with that much, much going on. How hard were their hearts? How hard were the hearts of these righteous, supposedly righteous men to be able to persecute Jesus and not think twice about it when you could feel the presence of God, which just shows that they didn't know the presence of God at all. And, you know, people like Simeon and Anna, when Jesus was born, waiting for the Messiah and go, this is the Messiah. John the Baptist in the womb of Mary, recognizing the Messiah in the womb and jumping for joy. You know, John the Baptist seeing him at the baptism and saying, this is the one. People did recognize who he was. The disciples followed him at what command? Follow me. Just leave everything, leave, leave, your, leave your business, leave everything, and just follow me. You talk about faith. How much faith does it take to walk away from your business and follow a man who said, just follow me? Matthew or Levi, tax collector. Nobody likes him, but he's got lots of money. Follow me. And he leaves. Says he immediately left his booth. They just walked away. You know, Peter and John, you know, follow me. Walk away from a business. And we go, well, they were just fishermen. The Zebedee family was from the Galilee, had a fishing market in Jerusalem. They were well known. They were wealthy fishermen. And he said, follow me. And the boys just walked away from their, their fleet. Okay, we'll follow you. We don't really think about what a step of faith that was. Yeah. Hey, I can stay here and be wealthy. I've got fish. We own me having all the money I need, and we've got a fleet of ships here, and we've got all this going on. And we're going to take and follow this man. We're just going to get up and follow this man because he said, "Follow me." I think it's fun sometimes to think about what these guys turned their back on to follow Jesus, and that was even before they really understood that he was the Messiah. He just walked by and said, "Follow me." And they got up and followed. And then he said, I'm the Messiah. And now they go, oh, hey, we made the right decision. We're following the Messiah. We're going to be, we're going to be really wealthy because we're going to be the dukes and, the, and the, the top dogs in this new, new uh, government. And then he gets crucified. And then they get to give their life up for him. So all of these things that come down to Jesus saying, I'm challenging people with their disunderstanding of God. Lord, we ask you to go with us. Help us always to seek you and to walk by faith. Help us not get bound up in patterns and understandings of who we think you are. And help us to seek you and follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. 
You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.